Hi, I'm Alexander Hennessy. Hi, I'm Brittany Hennessy. And we are hosting Talking Points today. Um, uh, let me just start out by introducing myself. So um, I'm the founder and co-founder of Carbon and Carbon August. Uh, Carbon is an uh, application that helps connect influencers to hotels. And Carbon August is a hybrid agency model for influencer marketing. I'm Brittany, and I'm the author of Building Your per Influencer, Building Your Personal Brand in the Age of Social Media, and I'm the co-founder of Carbon August, which Alexander just briefed you guys on, and I was the first head of influencer marketing at Hearst Magazine's Digital Media. Okay, good. So, um, yeah, so... The, the concept here is to speak how we would usually speak behind closed doors. And I guess just a bit on that, which is that when we speak behind closed doors, the overall theme is generally one of either humor or, or contention. And so we'll see if we can kind of stir some of that up going through the headlines and some of the stories that we can uh, get to. Okay, so. The first one, okay, so the first story that we should get to is actually, I think, the one that you like the most. You want to start off with that one? Sure. So I really liked the story on teenagers coming up with their own news source. And I clicked on that article, and it was on Teen Vogue, and it had, uh, it had some information on this news site called The Cramp. And the cram is created by Olivia Seltzer, and she's 15 years old. And I clicked on it, and just seeing the name the cram, I said, oh, this sounds like the skim, which is, you know, news for, uh, I mean, it's pretty much news for the pumpkin spice latte set. So it's, they skim the news so you don't have to actually really read it, which is, you know, maybe not the best thing for world views, but this is their teenage take on it. So they cram the news every day so that, you know, teenagers around the world can get their news and figure out how they want to change the world. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but the thing I thought was really interesting is this was pretty much set up to be an acquisition. And I think that's interesting because if you look at, you know, plenty of people create businesses and they're just like, Oh, I'm going to make this business. And, you know, I don't want it to look too much like anybody's. This is literally <laughs> down to like the skim has skim ambassadors. She has cram ambassadors. I mean, I don't know if maybe she's related to somebody from the skim, but the way it was set up, it just looked like she was creating something that was cool, but the skim would look at it and say, these are future skimmers. Like we need to own this. And so, you know, it makes sense that influence, you know, influencers are creating these sites so that teens can get news in a way that resonates with them, but I could not overlook the fact that she built this to be bought. Yeah, I like that. I like that. It reminds me of a quote from, I think it was maybe Oscar Wilde, something like, if you're, if you imitate, if you, those who don't imitate don't accomplish anything. And so I think that's kind of what you have here. And I wonder, so the, the girl who started the business is, is a teenager? She's 15. Do we know anything about like who, like, whether whether other people helping her? Yeah, she's she got have... she's got an editorial team of like eight, and then she's got friends. Wait, of... wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is like a legitimate. Like... This is an organization. She's got an editorial team of eight girls. Yeah. She's got um, friends of the cram. Wait, which so are... these are like friends from school. 
No, they live all over the country. And the friends of the Cram, they live all over the world. Like one of her correspondents lives in Paris. Oh, so these are so, like high achieving. These are like, these like energetic, are. Weird. This is student body president material. Right, right, right. This right. is who these. these Except I can't do you know student government because I'm busy doing the Cram. I mean, they're right? probably doing like student government and you know doing the Cram because all of this is going to look fantastic on their college applications. But and then they have they have an advisory council of adults and i mean to be honest i, I want to be on their advisory council of adults <laughs> right. well maybe good. yeah maybe they're listening because they've got they got a shout out here i don't know so yeah so this is one of the interesting things like when i was looking through the newsletter i was thinking to myself how does all of this relate to influencer marketing and so much of it you know influencer marketing like any other thing like law like economics like finance it's all over the place right and so I think really what we're just talking about is just, it's just digital, the, the, the things that digital media opens us up to, right? Sure. And one of the things that opens us up to is that we, and we've seen this before is like, you don't have to be out of college to start something. Yeah. You can be in high school or, or pre high school and already get going. And actually, that's like the perfect time. I mean, Ryan's tour review and like Evan too, they have children. Like Ryan's tour review, he can barely speak and he was making millions of dollars. So, yeah. Yeah. And there's a whole group. There's a whole group of people like, okay, so we, we talk about this all the time, right? We say like the skim. I mean, you know me. Like I don't currently but had previously had subscriptions to like five newspapers. Right. Yeah. The New York Times and the Financial Times. The and the expensive Journal. reading habit. Right. And we just read that every day. It's just taking in all of the information. But obviously not everybody's like that. And some people are just like, okay, I just need enough where I can go to the go to brunch or whatever. And I already kind of look sexy. I just need to look a little bit smart. Too. <laughs> yeah. and, and then I'll be okay. And so that's kind of what the skim was for. Right. Right. And so it has an audience. And I guess the cram, do, do you have any idea like what their news? It's news. It's no, like? it's real news. I mean, it looks exactly like the skin. It's like, you know, here is, and you can get it via email or via text yeah. because they're teenagers. And it's like blurbs, like here's a huge news item and then they blurb it so that you at least know what's going on. And their goal really is to turn people into, to turn young people into activists, which isn't a bad thing. And their whole oh, mission is you can't care about something that you don't know is happening. So they're trying to just give you enough information on different topics that you might say, oh, that speaks to me. Oh, that speaks to me. So they've like built this army of ambassadors around the world. And they're all, you know, they host, they host like uh, cram day events and they're posting on social and They've made like a mini influencer network. And I didn't see anything about monetizing it on there, but I'm sure at some point brands will want to get involved because this is, they've harnessed, you know, like the gen, oh, is it, are they Gen Z? Is that whole 15? Yeah, the Gen Z. Yeah, yeah, I think they're Gen Z. And it's I almost think, like begs another discussion, right? Because it's Yeah, but they're like Gen Z. So brands are definitely going to want to get their hands on them. And if they can sign people up, you know, to get this newsletter, and now they have like, what are they? Well, they'll 50,000 people in a very specific age range yeah. that they can send information out to. So it's ripe for advertising. And I'll be very surprised if they don't figure out how to monetize it sooner or later. Okay, so I have a couple of things on that, right? So, so just kind of as an aside to think about the consequences of this, right? 
and that's so much of what I think all this stuff is about. What's the consequence of all this on, on like how we live? Like, how does it actually affect us? So when you said that there, it's about activism. That sounds kind of like it's a continuation of the kids in Florida after right. the shooting, right? And they mm-hmm. were, and then people were talking about a young generation of activists. That sounds kind of like in the same vein. I don't know how related they are, but it sounds like maybe there was an inspiration there or something like that. And it, but it also raises the question, which was kind of raised there, was should 13-year-olds have a voice in politics kind of thing, right? And so I think there's actually, a, it raises that question a little bit. And you can answer that question in all kinds of ways, and there are all ways that that discussion can go. But it also kind of is in line with the thing about social media in general, which is like, what happens when everybody has a voice? Should everybody have a voice? And so, and so I think that kind of opens all that up. Yeah, it's it's very much like a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. Like you look at again, I don't want to seem like I'm picking on the skin because they did find a very target audience and they are giving that audience what they want. But like can you really sum up like what's happening in the Middle East in like a blurb? Like if you haven't been following it, just right. just a piece right. of news with no context is like dangerous. And those are like adults who you would think have been alive long enough that maybe they have more context. Unless you are well read and traveled, you have more, you have significantly less context as a 13 year old. And you end up with the the problem, you always talk about like these younger comedians that we watch them sometimes and they make jokes, but they don't have any context because they're not old enough to have context or understand that something might be super serious now, but it shouldn't be viewed that way or how different groups view something. And I think when you're 13 and we're old, but we're not that old. When you're 13, like everything is, is angst. Everything is the worst. Everything is out to get you, you know, everything is, you know, and then you look at it and it's so much like we're, we're past the point of like real problems that now we have like micro problems. Like I'm all about body positivity, but like it's to the point where like you can't say anything or like something is shit. So social media really like let people have a voice, which I think is great because it gives marginalized groups a voice. It gives, you know, and being an influencer gives you the power to rally like a large group of people and you don't all have to be in the same place. But at the same time, you know, especially with cancel culture, do we really want all these people to have this this number where they can like cancel something that's not actually dangerous or hurtful just because they didn't have proper context? And it's like, well, yeah, if all you read are news blurbs or you actually haven't been alive for that long, how much context can you really have to know the real story behind yeah, it? Yeah, like, like all recent converts, there's zealots. And, but yeah. you've got to start somewhere. And it seems like a pretty pretty cool thing yeah so that's why even with all the criticism of the way this could go horribly wrong you also can look at it the way this can go you know really right which is if they're getting people 13 14 15 to start caring about issues hopefully they'll have an appetite for reading news in its full context by the time they're 18 and old enough to vote and we don't just turn out a whole generation of people who don't show up to the polls when the decisions being made now are the ones that will affect their future. So I like that they're at least putting people on a path towards activism. It's just watching them to make sure that they don't take it. Yeah, far. no, great job. Stay responsible. It looks like it's going to be great. And, and I'm, I, I will be counting down the days until we see that acquisition notice. Of yeah. The skim has bought the crown. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you will have heard it here first, yeah. guys. That's, it's coming. So, so there's another story that I wanted to talk about, 
which I thought was was really great. But before we get to that, I think we should get to kind of the bread and butter, something that we've been talking about for years. Okay, and this one. Here was the title of it, YouTube Influencers, What Brands Don't Understand About Working with Internet Stars. And then it goes on to say how uh, uh, YouTube, uh, in conjunction with one of their star creators, um, were, were kind of trying to explain to TV people that, hey, you can't control all the content uh, of an influencer. That's not how it works. It doesn't work the way it used to, and you've got to start getting used to it. And so this is something like you've dealt with at length, something we've talked about at length, and something that should be kind of easy to understand, but when you're dealing with with kind of old cultures, you've got yeah. a, you know, you've got an issue, and so it's, yeah, take it away on that one. You know, it's it's interesting because the example in the in the article listed in the newsletter is with Samsung and this choreographer. I can't remember his name, but Samsung wanted to send him their new phone and show his audience what it can do. And he's like, I don't want one phone, I want 20 phones. And they were like, okay, here's 20 phones. And then he taught a dance class. And then he had like 20 friends all live stream like their dance moves and it turned into like a huge dance class and like his audience loved it. That's not something that, you know, the brand would have came up with because if they could, they would have done it themselves and not hired an influencer. And you see so often that, you know, brands are used to making advertisements. They make ads where the product is perfect, it's used just so, the words are said just so, the copy is written in this tone of voice. And then they realize that, you know, millennials and plenty of people, they block ads. And so they've got to go to influencers. And then they go to influencers and try to get influencers to make ads. That's not what influencers are. You know, they're they're not a creative agency for hire. You're making, and I think at Curse, they made a really good, they did a really good job of highlighting this point, it's co-branded content. So it's your product. Of course, we're going to get in the talking points that you want to cover. Like if it's mascara and it's that it wears all day, then of course that's got to be said because that's the selling point of the product. But how the influencer chooses to convey that message has got to be up to the influencer. And I worked with a brand where they nitpicked a YouTube video to death where it really did look like an ad the influencer was so upset. She, we tried warning them that this is not going to perform well. It's too branded. It's too salesy. And they wanted what they wanted because they paid for it. And it bombed to like, it was a six figure bombing, which is crazy. And then, you know, they turn it into this whole influencer marketing doesn't work. It's like, no, influencer marketing done wrong doesn't work. And she had a very specific way of speaking, holding products, you know, doing her face. And they didn't let her do any of that. So it's like, so, if you don't like the way an influencer makes content, why would you pick them? So I have two things on that. One is that influencer marketing doesn't make sense when you do it the wrong way. Yeah, that's true. But I think there are some unique characteristics about influencer marketing. Maybe this applies for all marketing in general, but, but definitely I've seen it in utilizing influencer marketing for certain products that you that that you really can get a zero in influencer <laughs> marketing. I mean you negative can, marks. You can really get a zero. And so yeah. you're playing a you can, you're playing a fairly dangerous game. When I see somebody throwing six figures at an influencer, th that always seems to me like that's a that that could be pretty risky, especially if like that's your only play, right? Okay, if it's part of a diversified portfolio of influencers that you've got okay that's something else maybe but 
But I think that is a legitimate issue with influence. I can see why people want better metrics all the time, why they need to understand influencer, because you really can get a zero in influencer. But I think we should tie this in as well to the, this other headline, which is, can you be an influencer without being annoying? And it's this new book, The, Soul for Art, the Soulful Art of Persuasion. And this guy's trying to say that, look, actually an influencer is somebody who's garnered trust and reliability that people listen to and respect. And I think that's kind of, a, I think that's a great point. And I think it, it makes clear an obvious, kind of an obvious, and all if you've thought about the problem, almost a lame contradiction of how people think about influencers at this point, which is like, on the one hand, they're saying, hey, no, you have to do this canned thing that we've arranged for you. And on the other hand, they're saying, oh, you're so, you're, you're so inauthentic. Well, that's, there's like, there seems to be a contradiction between those two things. The reason people are, the people, the, the reason that people are attracted to influencers is actually the opposite. It's because they have an authentic narrative. It's because they, they live and breathe that narrative every day while they're updating their account. Now, I think of it as not that they're, that they have uh, like a lack of authenticity, but they actually have an excess of authenticity. Um, and so just a little bit of, of kind of lack, the fact that, okay, they do have to accommodate the format and what people will like just a bit makes them seem somehow inauthentic. It's a little bit like LeBron James, when his jump shot wasn't as good, is all anybody could talk about was, oh, his jump shot. It's because he was so great in every other respect that that little hole became so magnified. So I, I think it's actually, you know, the, the opposite um, of, of kind of lack of authenticity. And yeah, these brands have to start to realize that the, that the narratives, there's a more diverse set of narratives and there's a kind of pace to the way that people are marketing now that has changed, right? So you were saying like, oh, there are the, um, there are, oh, this is, yeah, this is kind of an example, right? So like you mentioned younger comedians who have like a certain way about them and they say, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like they always have that much context. But one of the things we take for granted is just like their style, right? Sure. Their style is kind of, laid back, relaxed, cool. If you go back, you know, 50 years ago, there was a time when, when comedians were kind of shooting fingers at you and, and like shaking their head in a way that was like, was like really like tight, right? What we would think of today is just like completely uptight. And I think when you're used to an uptight message delivery, um, loosening the loosening the restriction a little bit and being like, oh, that person can go their way, that's fine. But what we have noticed also is that Obviously, brands are, are protective of their image. It has to be their image. A brand has its image. We've seen this with hotels. And they kind of want it to look like them. And, and that's the selection process. But often what happens is the person selecting the influencer may not be totally connected to the person who's protecting the brand. And so there might be a disconnect there. That's true, but I think, you know, the thing brands have finally started to realize is it's not about what they want and it's not about what they think it should look like because influencers create content about brands all the time. You just aren't in a formal relationship with them and you're not paying them. So you don't have any control. And so, you know, even talking about authenticity with influencers, there's two things. There's the way an influencer builds their audience yeah. and the way influencers make money. And those are, for the most part at odds with each other, especially in like fashion and beauty, because they make their money through 
branded yeah. content. Yeah. And so even if they would really like their content to be super raw and if they want to cry when they want to cry and like post some controversial things, the influencers who do branded content deals, they know that they've got to stay, they've got to stay a little Disney starish right. so that they can work with, you know, these household names. And then you look at, you know, the way influencers make money is evolving. So now you have all these affiliate programs. Amazon is like relaunching their whole influencer thing. They're making courses, they're doing retreats, they're hosting events. There are all these ways they're making money and even ads have come back onto influencer blogs, which was crazy that they ever got rid of ad revenue as a way of making money because every media company uses ad revenue. And so they're starting, there are all these ways they could start making money. And there are a lot of influencers and brands have noticed this influencers are turning down a lot of branded content deals because it's not enough money for them. They don't really want to do it. It's mostly because a lot of them, they don't need the money anymore. When this was the only way to make money, you had to take every brand deal that got thrown at you because this is how you were going to make your living and quit your job and do this full time. But there are influencers who like branded content's like 10% of their revenue. They make most of their money through affiliate links. And with an affiliate link, you can style it or shoot it however you want. The brand has no say, and you're still gonna make a lot of money. So I think we're gonna see a shift, and I think we're already seeing a shift, especially when you look at like Gen Z, they don't even do sponsored content. Plenty of them do, but so many of them are just using their influence for when they launch whatever their product is, and they'll have an audience to market it to. So people are figuring out other ways to make money that don't have to do with brands I think if brands don't loosen up a little bit, they'll start to see a decrease in quality influencers that want to work with them because those people will have other options. Okay. So, okay. So here's the story that I really liked. Okay. So this one is um, the Attently story. Okay. So let me just pull it up here on the, on the thing. The uh, innovations. Attently is a startup measuring audience attention to online video. And so here's this company, and I couldn't totally tell from the, um, from, from the website like exactly what their solution looks like. But from what I gathered, okay, it's a, it's a um, they'll have people watch a video and they'll start taking measurements, like biometric measurements of their face to indicate, and maybe of their body to indicate how much they're engaged and paying attention. Okay, so I love this. I love this. And like before we did carbon, this is one of the things that I was looking at and saying, okay, what at that time there was not so much kind of software packaging that was accessible. It was all you really had to start at the bottom, but maybe there's more accessible now. And here's a case study that they did. Okay. So uh, pop sockets, you know, pop sockets. The oh, I love pop sockets. So, um, so they, so pop sockets had a video, 60 second video that they were, I think that they were currently using for, uh, to, to show an advertisement. But they wanted to cut it down to like six seconds or nine seconds. And yeah, 60 seconds is long. 60 seconds is long. So they needed to, to, um, to say, okay, uh, we need to know which six seconds will work the best. And so here, and so they had like two ideas. And they were like, okay, here's one idea, here's the other idea of the best six seconds. And then they started testing all these people. Well, what do you think? I think, so I think what they did is they just, they just had people watch it and then they took their measurements to decide when people were the most engaged, oh, when they had the cool. highest level of emotional engagement and attentiveness. And what they found were actually that there were two six second slots that were not the ones that they originally chose, which had a much higher 
um, uh, response, okay, emotional response. And so then what they did was they validated it, right? So already they're taking it to a much more scientific direction. They validated by saying, well, were the people influenced in those six seconds, those two six-second slots, by previous uh, by previous video, right? So then they, they isolated those six seconds and they had people watch those mm-hmm. versus the ones that PopSockets had chosen. So now they compared and they found the same thing, that the ones that had been found through the process right. were actually the more effective in, in garnering a response. Um, and so this, is, so this is how they did it, right? So that's effectively like the story. And I love this story so much because I think it's so interesting that we're going to start taking biometric data and, you know, like the way somebody's face shifts while they're watching something, do they look a little happy, do they look a little sad. If you could even, you know, if you start extending that, what about their heart rate? What about the way that they're moving their shoulders? It sounds creepy. That. It's right. It's totally, <laughs> it's totally big brother. But what I like about it is, is that, you know, if you just rely on people saying, oh, I liked this or I didn't like that, that's kind of the old that's in to some that's kind of that self-reporting model in a way is the opposite of like what steve jobs talked about right he says i know what people like even if they don't know it and so so when you have that biometric data you can start guessing what what people actually like based on their responses their 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 um instantaneous responses versus once they put it through their own kind of narrative filters and how they think they should respond and all that, right? And so I kind of, I kind of love this and, and I wanna learn more about this company and I think there's gonna be lots of, of companies like this and it's pretty cool. Yeah, those things are, are you know, they're a little invasive, yeah. but they're fun and it's tough too because for so long social media companies have tried to determine sentiment on Instagram through Twitter and they're like, here's a lot of, here's a lot of content and it's it's leaning towards being really bad and you should check it out but like it couldn't really account for like sarcasm and internet jargon and just people just joking in a way that like the computer didn't understand and then you have all these marketers with all this data like they don't like this messaging when really people loved the messaging and like the sentiment was wrong and so i think you know cutting through all of that and just getting right at the people It'll be interesting, especially because then people can't lie. Because people can look at something, love something, hate that they love it, and then say, I don't like that. It's like, you love right. it. Right, it's like hooking somebody up to a lie detector test yeah. while they're watching your video and yeah. determine it. and like learning. It. So I, I don't mind it so much. I actually don't really mind invasive advertising because I love ads. And if I have to watch them, I at least want them to be relevant. Well, just to clarify, these people like selected them. No, no, them. I know. But I just mean in general, because that's where it all, you know, if you want to shoot back, if you want to go forward, just how some people opt to have Nielsen television boxes and what they watch determines what's doing well, there's probably in their future, they see a way where you get a certain box and you're one of the people who they're watching your body measurements and certain families are selected. And then that's how they can figure out, well, do older people like this or do younger people like this? Was this better in rural markets? Was it better if they were black or white or male or female? glasses wearers really like this you can start to see yeah. all of these different things based on people which is very different than just a piece of paper of who lives in this house you get a lot more information one, about them. one of the things i really like about this is like i would be really curious to get that information on myself sure because i would love to see i, I would love to see where's the disconnect between oh you're having a really strong like 
bio reaction to this data. But there's also evidence that, that you'll watch this, you'll go on, you'll be, it, you won't be convincing at all. And I'd love to see where's that difference because there's yeah. gonna be lots of times when you feel like, when you feel one way about something and then, but, but you have, there's some, there's a cross where like you've intellectually outmaneuvered your own body. Sure. To say, right? So I might have a stronger reaction to channel surfing than I do to reading a book. I don't know, maybe I do, or maybe it's the opposite. Of it. But I still choose to read a book rather than channel surf. Yeah. And so, and so why, you know? It'll be interesting. I mean, that's at the very beginning of something. And then also, you know, seeing if people were watching something and they didn't have their phone and you told them to check out something, how many people reached for their phone. You'll be able to start to see, to, 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 what is it to like shorten the gap or decrease the gap between people viewing content and acting on content. And I think that's the gap everywhere that people are trying to get over. Right, right. And this could be a really interesting way to do it. Right. Okay. So I'm going to do like a two minute blitz and just see like, if we have any thoughts on, on anything else. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. Let's see. Oh, we got to a lot of stuff. That was good. Um, we can do the boxing. Oh, let's do the boxing. Yeah. You want to, yeah, so Logan Paul is fighting this guy. What's the other guy's name? KSI. KSI. I only know who Logan Paul is because if you, you can't follow influencer marketing and not see all of the crazy things he's doing. And I actually worked with him maybe five years ago on, on some projects. He's actually a very nice kid. But um, they're, they're going to fight, and this is going to be their second fight. And it actually turned into like a legitimate boxing event, which the boxing community was up in arms just like, the fashion community is up in arms when influencers get invited to the Met Gala. It's always people mad that influencers are on the scene. Um, but in true influencer fashion, it's because they brought results. And, you know, this, the first fight, I think 1 million people yeah. watched it yeah. and each paid $10 to watch this. That's crazy. They probably have never seen this kind of money from a fight that's not, you know, a, a superstar fight. It was ridiculous. And so they said, okay, what happens if we, like, actually make this a thing and now they're waiting to see it but like combined they've got i think they've got like well like between, 10 when you said like ten dollars per million viewers yeah. that says ten million dollars that's a lot of money yeah. off of a whole generation that probably has never watched a boxing fight in their life because yeah, their audience each other off yeah, yeah their audience it's just like seeing like two friends like oh it's logan paul versus ksi and their audience is 13 year old boys and girls yeah. you know that's who's watching it and you look at any sport industry, they're all trying to figure out how do we get the next generation hooked in? Yeah. Because like younger people don't really watch baseball. They don't really play golf. There's just like this boxing, I'm sure, especially with everything we know about the science of getting hit in the head and mm -hmm. how boxing's pretty barbaric. Like a lot of young people like our, you know, the cram people and the, the daily dose of wokeness, which was also in the newsletter, they're not really going to be fans of these types of sports and they're going to push people to also not be fans of these sports and really to try and get them canceled. And so they've got to figure out how to hook in a younger demographic and YouTube stars is a hundred percent. So I it. don't really know um, Logan Paul that well. I've like watched some of his videos of like Burning Man and stuff like that. Yeah. And, but I do follow boxing and I, and I follow it on YouTube and um, he, he's actually showed up. I saw like like a, a fight he did a while. It was like pathetic. It was horrible. It was for anybody who actually watches boxing and knows anything about. It's just the worst. It's like two people in their backyard right. going at each other. But 
Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Like, it, it just, it's a lesson for everybody out there that, hey, if you can get a, a large enough uh, social media following, and you're, a bo- especially if you're a boxer, and you really want to fight, because actually that's what, what happens in boxing, is like, if you look at like Floyd Mayweather, he, the reason he's the guy is because he was just so good at marketing. Yeah. Or Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor isn't, I mean, okay, I just, I hope I don't, I'm, somebody will get mad maybe if I say this, maybe not on this, but like he, he's not necessarily the best fighter of all time, but he's the best marketer. Even Muhammad Ali, right, was just this great marketer. Yeah. You have all these guys who have tons of talent, but they're not the best marketers. They don't draw a crowd. And if you're a boxer, why would you get in a fight with a really great fighter and, you know, you only have a few of those in your whole career and because you can't sustain so much damage and, and it's not going to bring in big bucks because yeah. nobody's going to be watching. So it's kind of a lesson to, to boxers, to other athletes as well. It might be Not even just athletes. When you look who wins The Voice, who wins like all these singing competitions, now it's a bunch of people right. who right. they have yeah. a huge YouTube following already. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's all this talk when you're looking from a marketing perspective of, Followers don't matter. It's engagement rate. It's demographics. Those work when you're using an influencer as a conduit to, you know, share their marketing, share their marketing message with your target audience. But in terms of like getting people to show up and show out for you, that's a numbers game. That's a numbers game in the comedic world in in anything else in entertainment, as we're seeing in sports, fashion week, you know, some companies are picking models based on how many followers they have. So I think we're at a point where plenty of people have talent. Now it's, well, what are you going to, can you promote whatever it is you're, you're doing? And follower counts definitely the best way to do that. Yeah, like this girl who, who did um, Bites of the Best, right? She's got like, I think she had like 80,000. She's on the newsletter as well. And I think she had like 80,000 followers and uh, maybe a little more than that. And you know, she's just, just eating. Do you think she's getting, is she getting that for free? I didn't follow enough about it to know if she's like getting Maybe. I mean, she's got over 100,000 followers. And she works for Discovery, too. She has a day job. So who knows? Maybe it's maybe she's just doing it for fun. Maybe she gets preferred seating. Yeah. But if she's not getting paid, she should because the food looks delicious. I got hungry just looking at her feet. She's got some great shots. So actually, we did a – I'm going to say I think we did a really good job because we got through, like, most of the stuff on this newsletter. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. I think we went a little bit over, but – um, okay, good. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, if you have any uh, comments, let us know how we did. And uh, and you can so follow much. us on Instagram. Yes. I'm Mrs. Brittany Hennessy, and Alexander is Mr. Mr. Alexander Hennessy. Super easy to remember. And thanks for listening. Thanks.